Jesus suffered and bled and died for our sins. God, we thank you for the glorious gospel that we have been charged to proclaim until he comes again. Help us to be faithful to our charge this morning. May you be glorified, your people blessed. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to two passages of scripture today. Uh, The first one is in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek. And then from Philippians chapter 1, just two verses, verses 16 and 17, Paul wrote, The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Now I want to preach today with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I solicit your prayers from the subject, Advancing the Gospel. Would you say that with me? Advancing the Gospel. When you think about the society in which we live, a lot of things are being advanced. Politics, uh, sports today, even with Super Bowl, social issues, all of these things have a proper place, but none of these things should veil the advancing of the gospel. I shared with the group on Wednesday Bible study that if an alien were to drop into some of our congregations during the political season, particularly during presidential elections, they would not even know that they were in a place that was supposed to be advancing the gospel. Many of them would have, they would have thought that perhaps they were in a political rally or at a political headquarters, but certainly not a church promoting the gospel. Another alien may drop in to a place and think that they are in a place where social issues are the order of the day. Certainly not a place where the gospel is preeminent. One of the things about the right of our text today, the Apostle Paul, is that he had a burning passion for the advancing of the gospel. Uh, For a long time, Paul lived with the ambition of taking the gospel, which is, by the way, the good news of Jesus Christ, the story of his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is the gospel. Paul lived with the ambition of taking this gospel, advancing this gospel to Rome. But when he finally arrived in Rome, he arrived in chains as a prisoner. Certainly he would have loved to have arrived in Rome a free man able to maneuver in, around, and through the city, but such was not the case. 
His physical movement was restricted and the conditions under which he lived were far less than admirable. But nevertheless, there he was. It is beneficial for us to study the reaction of Paul to the circumstances surrounding him because many of us have circumstances surrounding us that are not favorable. So it's beneficial for us to study the reaction of Paul to the circumstances surrounding him. He could have loudly and angrily proclaimed his innocence of any crime and made a plea for sympathy. He could have hung his head in shame because of the humiliation associated with being a prisoner and wearing chains and all that went along, the stigma that went along with being in prison, particularly a preacher. He could have hung his head in shame because of the humiliation associated with being a prisoner and wearing chains. He could have bowed his head in utter defeat and retreated into a position of isolation and self-pity. He could have reacted with an attitude of extreme hostility, leading to bitterness and despair. But no, the Apostle Paul traveled none of these roads. Instead, the road he traveled was to confront his dismal condition with faith, with hope, and with boldness. Verse 20 recounts, Paul stating, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be manifest in me, in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul rejoiced greatly over the fact that the gospel was being advanced. Although he was bound by chains to one place, the gospel was free and being advanced, and Paul rejoiced. Instead of experiencing defeat in the midst of adverse conditions, he experienced victory. Instead of majoring on his hardships, he majored on his opportunities produced by the hardship. Instead of growing bitter, Paul grew better, all the while rejoicing in the reality that the gospel was spreading rapidly. Now, a close examination of Paul's letter to the Philippians reveals four methods by which the gospel was advanced. Four methods by which the gospel was advanced, and these methods are still applicable and important today if we are going to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice, first, the gospel was advanced by means of gracious giving. Let me say that again. The gospel was advanced by means or through means of gracious giving. Philippians 4 verses 15 through 
18 lets us know the given that the given of the Philippian church was distinctive. They were the only church that consistently contributed to Paul's efforts to advance the gospel. When the Philippian church was founded, it underwrote the ministry of Paul and they constantly supported his missionary efforts. Paul's disappointment in the other churches he had planted and the other churches that he had preached to was made clear when he wrote in verse 15, when I departed from Macedonia, underscore, no church. He, he's disappointed. No church shared with me concerning giving but you. Paul made it clear to these generous givers that their generosity would do four things. At first, it would be added to their account. Second, it would, they, it would produce spiritual fruit. Third, it would be a sweet-smelling aroma. And fourth, it would be well-pleasing to God. He says your giving will produce these things. Now imagine just one church supporting Paul and his mission to the world. And that church, by the way, was a church that had just been established. They were a new group of believers just getting started. Although new in their establishment, the Philippian congregation understood the value of gracious giving as it related to the advancement of the gospel. They understood it, and so they gave. God was well pleased with the giving of the Philippians. Paul, Paul compares their giving in verse 18 to an Old Testament sacrifice which a person offered to God. The person's sacrificial commitment to God was just like the pleasant, sweet smell of animal sacrifice. It was a sweet aroma, acceptable to God. That's what Paul said. Your, your sacrificial giving is a sweet aroma to God. It's acceptable to God. And as a result of the faithful giving of the Philippian church, Paul shared with them a promise from God. On one hand, they are given. On the other hand, Paul says, God has made you a promise. On the one hand, they are sacrificing and supporting the advancement on the gospel. On the other hand, Paul is saying, you will lack no good thing because my God, Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory 
by Christ Jesus. He's saying, Philippians, on one hand, you are given sacrificially, but on the other hand, God will supply everything that you need. Everything that you need. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Paul says, there is the great provider who is God. He owns it all. Everything belongs to him. What shall I render unto God? God owns everything. Everything belongs to him. Paul points out, first of all, in Philippians 4, 19, the reality of the great provider, God himself. Then there is the reality of the great provision. Paul says, all you need. Love the words of the hymn writer that said, all I have needed. You remember that? Great from Jeremiah. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my father, morning by morning, new mercies. I see the songwriter then wrote, all I have needed, thy hand. Thy hand has not held it back. Thy hand has not kept it from me. Thy hand has not allowed me to go wanting. But all that I needed, thy hand, the gracious hands of God, the omnipotent hands of God, the omniscient hands of God, the omnipresent hands of God, provides. Then there is the great resource. His riches in glory. Then there is the great mediator. Jesus the Christ making intercession for us. Telling God interceding for us on our behalf. Taking care of all of our needs. God knows our needs before, they, before we make our requests known to him because Jesus, the mediator, is communicated to God everything that we need. In fact, he's communicating that need before we even get to that need. Because God is God of the already, and he's God of the not yet. He's already standing in tomorrow providing for our need. All we got to do is get there. When we get there, everything will be taken care of. Now fast forward 2,000 years, and we are confronted with some very crucial questions. Questions such as, what are we doing today to advance the gospel? If God were to give us an exam right now and graded us individually and as a church, as it relates to financial giving, to missions, how would we do? When we look at where we live, the houses we live in, when we look at what we eat and how often and how much, when we look at what we wear, our clothing and our 
accessory. When we look at what we drive and compare those things with our giving to advance the gospel, would there be anything abounding in our accounts? It's a personal question, penetrating question. Would our gifts be a sweet-smelling aroma? An acceptable sacrifice without giving to missions to advance in the gospel? Will it be, will they be well pleasing to God? These are penetrating questions. These are piercing questions. These are tough questions. But questions never that need to be and honestly answered if we are serious about advancing the gospel. If we are serious about, if we are serious about advancing the gospel, we must answer these questions earnestly and honestly. Second, the gospel is advanced by means of prayer. Philippians 1.19, for I know that that this will turn out for my good, for my deliverance through, through your prayers and the supply of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said. Remember Paul's circumstances. He was in prison. But he was, as always, preaching the gospel. As a result of his faithfulness to Christ and his call to advance the gospel, God was honoring his preaching with tremendous Results. One of the ways God honors our preaching is with tremendous results. Whether you are sharing and advancing the gospel on your job, in your community, from the pulpit, from the classroom, God honors it with tremendous results. He said, my word will not return to me void, but accomplish those things I sent it forth to accomplish. God was blessing Paul with tremendous results. Unbelievers were being saved by the power of the gospel. Those, and at the same time, those who had already trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord were encouraged, stepping up and speaking the word, Paul says, without fear. Now, here's a truism. Wherever there is success, there will be challenges. Wherever there is success in ministry, there will be challenges. Wherever there is progress in ministry, there will be challenges. Such was the case with Paul. Already he's challenged with being under house arrest. And then to add to that, there were some people who sought to use the very gospel Paul loved against him. Look at verses 15 and 16 for the scenario. Some indeed, Paul says, preach Christ from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ, get this, for selfish ambition, what they can get out of it. Not sincerely, supposing, Paul says, to add to my affliction, your motives are wrong. 
Paul notes, while some are preaching from goodwill, a good intentions, a pure motives. Others are preaching from envy and strife, perhaps aimed at Paul because of the love and admiration of the people towards him. Still, some, as Paul points out, preach not for the sake of advancing the gospel, but for the sake of advancing themselves. Paul said all of this was aimed at adding affliction to his chains or intensifying the level of his suffering. Adding affliction to his chains chains would include the following. It would have included wondering, causing Paul to wonder and question God. It would have included uh, trying to make him discouraged and depressed. It would have included uh, him fighting complacency, laziness, and being lethargic. It would have included trying to turn him away from God. It would have included uh, trying to get him to act negatively against God. It would have included creating a bitter resentment as Paul served out his sentence. But the plan backfired. Instead of being stressed by his critics and giving up, Paul was strengthened by the prayers of the church and the supply of the Holy Spirit. Notice his words in verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Holy Spirit. The point of verse 19 is this. Paul was certain that with the church handling its business through prayer and the Holy Spirit working on his behalf, things had no choice but to work out in his favor and that the gospel, regardless of their motive for preaching it, would be advanced. Now, here's a truism. If you're serious about God using you in radical ways, in revolutionary ways, in remarkable ways to advance the gospel, if you're interested in being a mouthpiece, for God, if you're interested in promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, advancing the gospel, then get some people who know the words of prayer and the worth of prayer. Get them praying for you. That's what Paul did. The church was praying for him. The gospel was advanced because the church was praying. Then invite the Holy Spirit and trust the Holy Spirit and lean and depend on the Holy Spirit to work in you, through you, and for you. And things will work out for God's glory and your good, and the gospel will be advanced through you, whether it's in your home, at school, on your job, in the church, in the community, in the grocery store, at the park, at sporting events, the gospel will advance. And thirdly, Paul advanced the gospel by living for Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 1, 21a, 
for me, for to me to live is Christ. Paul was passionate about his relationship with Jesus. He deeply desired that every fabric of his being be woven in close-knit relationship with Jesus. He presented his body to Jesus as a living sacrifice. He sought to have the mind of Christ, and he encouraged others to do so, even in Philippians of, of 2 and 5, where he says, Let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul committed his body first and his mind to Jesus. He committed himself to work for love and justice within the whole of society. He gave his life every moment of it to reaching out and ministering to as many people as possible during his journey on earth. Now the gospel, the advancement of the gospel in the 21st century involves people who can produce life service in conjunction with lip service. One of my former instructors, Dr. Bob Royal, told our class that our words and our walk must be congruent. That's what, that's, what, that's what this text is saying. Word and walk must be congruent. Lips and life must match up if we're going to properly advance the gospel. And he, here's another truism. Many people now have been duped long enough. You talk to people now there. Many people's eyes are open. They've been duped long enough. They have been hoodwinked long enough. They have been fooled long enough. And in today's society, many people are now beginning to think deeper about who they listen to and who they follow. One of the great, what they call apologists, arguing for the faith, Robert Zacharias, when his program used to come on the radio, it said, let my people think. I love that. Let my people Think. Let my people get away from so many distractions. Let my people turn the television off for a period of time. Get away from the computer uh, for a period of time. Get by themselves in prayer and solitude for a period of time. Let my people think. Many people are now beginning to think deeper about who they listen to and who they follow. If that's you, congratulations. Deeper thinking leads to contemplation. Contemplation leads to evaluation. Evaluation leads to investigation. Investigation leads to substantiation. Substantiation leads to participation or elimination. 
That is to say, once you are substantiated, we shall participate together or you shall be eliminated. Written off as one whose word and walk is not congruent. You see, you see far too many people wearing the badge of Christ followers are being eliminated as spokespersons for the gospel because their lives are ragged both inside and outside the walls of the church. And many people are saying, I am no longer willing to listen. Paul reminds us that the advancement of the gospel means living like a Christian ought. And with those words, I want to leave you with the lyrics from an old hymn of the church entitled, Lift Him Up. Lift Jesus up. Lift the Savior up. In verse 4, that old hymn states, lift him up. Lift Jesus up. That's what they mean. By living as a Christian ought. Let the world in you the Savior see. Then men, of course, then women, boys and girls, will gladly follow him who once taught. I'll draw. I'll draw. Through your lips, through your life, through your walk with Christ, I'll draw. All men, all women, all persons, all people unto me. Then the refrain, lift the precious Savior up. Lift the precious Savior up till he speaks from eternity. And I, if I be lifted up. From the earth, I'll draw all men, all women, all persons unto me.